when they are casting a voice for Ford Automotive, (laughs) you know, or for a grocery store chain or whatever it is, there's part of me that really enjoys that, you know what, it's a brown Muslim woman who's doing that voice for you and you don't even know, Middle America. You don't even know. Hello and welcome to the Open Up Podcast. I am Elliot Knight and this is episode 10, our final episode of this very first season of amazing conversations with diverse artists about their behind the scenes experiences of the entertainment industry. So glad to have you here. So glad to have you for the first time or returning to close out the season with us. Thank you so much for being here. And I cannot wait to share this episode with you that we have, no word of a lie, been waiting all season long to share with you. Here is the idea of our guest today with a little bit more information and context than you normally have, but it's all part of a fascinating conversation that we can't wait for you to hear. This is such an interesting question because it all, it kind of varies depending on who I'm talking to and how safe I feel with them. So... The technical answer is I am American. I'm South Asian American. My parents were born in India, but moved to Pakistan when they were children, when the Pakistan was created, when the British left India and 1954, Pakistan was created and Muslim families were encouraged to go to Pakistan. Hindu families were encouraged to go to India. At that point in time, my parents, as very young children, their families went to Pakistan. So they grew up culturally Pakistani, but their ethnicity goes back in India and the Indo-Persian Valley for generations and generations. So when people ask me, what are you? Um, Ethnicity-wise, I'll often say South Asian American because Mm -hmm. that captures the entire subcontinent. If I feel safe with the people, I'll say Pakistani American because that implies the Muslim aspect of it. And I identify as a Muslim, an American Muslim. If I feel like there might be any kind of whiff, this was more true in the years after 9-11, I feel less and less this fear now. But if I suspected that I was going to be in a weird position if I said I'm Muslim, I would say, oh, I'm Indian American, because that's just as true. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of been this uh, an assessment I make in the moment as to how much or how detailed I reveal my ethnicity On the other hand, I'm a Hoosier, which means I'm from the state of Indiana. (laughs) And, you know, I grew up there in the mid 80s, early, like through the 90s, early 2000s. So I'm very much, I think I'm an elder millennial is kind of how I've come to identify too with like the zeitgeist of my time. Zara Fuzzle is an incredibly talented and passionate actor of voice and screen, including TV and games, animation, you name it, she has done it. 
Not only does she have, as you've already heard, one of the most incredible voices on the planet, but a true connection to the importance of why she cares so much about what she does and the bright path she sees for the future of her many industries of entertainment. Zara and I met working on Call of Duty Modern Warfare. It was a single scene that we got to share together, but after working with her, seeing how committed and excellent she was, and such a joy to work with also, I then learned more about her. I learned that she also voices the announcer in Apex Legends, if you're familiar with that game. She also voices other characters in games like Borderlands 3 and many TV animations as well. Her resume is astounding, but her eloquence and intelligence and insight is perhaps even a step beyond that. Zara and I have the most fascinating, illuminating, vulnerable, emotional conversation of the entire season. Some of the themes that you'll hear are echoes of other sentiments expressed by other artists in their own conversations, which, while upsetting, goes to show how important they are. And I'll let you find those for yourself as you listen through. But what's unique for this conversation in the season is the exploration of a South Asian and Muslim identity and the representation of that within American media and the American entertainment industry specifically. There is almost no way I could do this episode justice with an introduction. It is truly powerful, and I'm honored to be able to share all of these thoughts and these offerings with you from a conversation I have with Zara, but still feels so relevant and is so relevant today. For the last time, I will see you on the other side of this. Thank you once again for being here, all season long if you have. We really appreciate it. And Zara does too, and you're about to hear why. This is the end of season one of the Open Up Podcast, episode 10, exploring games, voice, and TV with the astounding Zara Fuzzle. How do you feel you've been received as a person and as an identity? Um, has that felt easy to do? Has it felt difficult? Has it felt confusing for people? Has it been confusing for you? <laughs> yep. Um it's an ongoing process. It's an it's a blooming flower that is still unfurling its petals, Elliot. Oh my god! I, uh, yes. So I moved to LA like about nine years ago, mm-hmm. um, with the intention of focusing on like on camera television, episodic work, and animation. Mm. I wanted to do both. I first started focusing on the voiceover part of it because I thought I could get that up and running sooner, and then I would, in theory have more financial stability to do the on-camera work because I knew on-camera work is few and far can be few and far between even if you're a regular on something absolutely it's it's just not as um abundant the opportunities are not as abundant as you would find in in all the different areas you can work in voiceover so for the first few years I was in LA I really focused on the voiceover stuff I had uh, an on-camera agent for a little while and, you know, uh, we parted ways and then I got my manager and my current on-camera agent. And so I've had a lot of different experiences going out for different things. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that my representation is fantastic. They pitch me for everything. Great. Because anytime there's like an ambiguous ethnicity or ethnicity open, I'm pitched for it. What I tend to get cast in thus far, uh, I play a lot of TV anchors. I play a lot of news reporters. I play a 
doctor. Yeah. Um, I often play like a wronged woman in the Middle East. <laughs> who's been abused or war-torn situations. Like, I was so excited. One of the first big things I booked was this this, this movie that is, got, was terribly received with Shia LaBeouf and Jai Courtney called Man Down. Mm. And it was about his um, a soldier's PTSD uh, after serving in Afghanistan. And I played an Afghani woman who was thrown to the ground by Jai Courtney in this in our house that had just been bombed. Mm. Um, it was a good experience. Everyone was super nice on set. But there was this part of me that's like, you know, I'm a girl from Indiana, and here's an act, a language coach on set to teach me certain phrases in, in, in Farsi Um uh, to to essentially say, don't shoot, don't shoot. We have oh children my. here, mm-hmm. and it was just like I'm an actor. I'll I'm, I'm I'm excited to expand into roles and do things. But am I really being used to the to the potential of my instrument here? Mm-hmm. It and that's been an ongoing thing on camera where I feel like I look ethnic to white casting directors and to the white buyers, yes. American buyers. Yep. So I'm often asked to do an accent to be someone who's not from America. Mm-hmm. And while I, as again, I'm a happy journeyman actor and I love inhabiting all these different worlds. But again, it's like when you feel like, coach, put me in to yep. something I can actually have more impact in. Yes, uh, it's a little frustrating for me. So you find that those kinds of roles, um, and <clears throat> I have another friend too who is, uh, you know, always being seen and cast for Middle Eastern woman in trouble roles. And it always sounds like that thing where very often the display of that identity seems to be um, you're in turmoil constantly, you're in pain, you're worried, you need help, and yeah. you're helpless and and. Yeah. You're just, your status is so low down. And I hear stories from her all the time, and I'm just thinking, Yuzera, you are American. You're an American citizen. You've lived almost your whole life, if I'm not wrong, as an American experience. Yeah. Surely that should be something that you get to own your full identity as the character you are and not have to be screaming for help from, you know, presumably the American saviors. Right, right. And it's not that... Again, I'm so grateful for work, however it comes. Absolutely. But it doesn't feel in alignment with the stories I want to tell as an artist to communicate about that kind of pain coming from the Muslim world over and over again when my Muslim experience is a very different one. And a uniquely American one. Um, and, and I'm not saying you should only play what your experience is. I'm not saying that. But it feels a little incongruous. For example, I, my family has never worn the hijab. The women in my family has never practiced veiling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something every Muslim woman does. Certain countries do it. And it's culturally part of it. But the Quran itself does not require women to do that. Right. Um, not that I like I'm 
I'm Muslim, but I'm very, how do I describe it? I'm secular. Like I'm the kind of person when I, when I try to describe to my Christian friends, my relationship to Islam, it's like, well, you know how you celebrate Christmas and you might go to church on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Same. Like I might, <laughs> you know, say Eid prayers and go to Eid parties. And I, I love the faith I was raised in. I think there's beautiful things about the community, but do I pray five times a day? No. Right. It's not the routine of your everyday life all the time. Right. That doesn't make me any less Muslim, by Absolutely the way. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's um, right. But it that that perspective, people are so surprised. They're like, you drink? You eat pork? It's like, yeah, but I'm still Muslim. <laughs> it's still a part of you. It's still authentic. Right. And it can still inform your spirituality and your connection with whatever is higher than yourself. Mm. Um, like, that's what I feel like all religion is trying to do. It's trying mm-hmm. to get you to look outside of you and to the greater right. whatever for the good of all. Right. Um, so then did, do, have you ever felt like you have seen many examples in film or TV of the you that is authentic to you? In everything That's that you are. That's just what I was going at with the, the veiling, right? So every time I play a Muslim woman on screen, she's wearing a hijab. Mm. And I am, I feel very mixed, I have very mixed feelings about that. Uh, one, on one hand... I think any representation that's positive is good. So if it's nor- helping to normalize Islam and Islamic imagery and Muslims for the American audience, that's great. And I love it. That's the first step. So, mm-hmm. yes, women in hijabs. Awesome. The second step, which I think we need to take now in media, is not all Muslim women wear hijabs. And just because a character is Muslim doesn't mean they look a certain way. Is really is really interesting. I was hired for a show. Now, this is an animated show. I was hired to do to be the voice of a shopkeeper who was in one episode in America. I used my natural speaking voice. And then when the episode came back animated, the character had a hijab. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't why why did you choose this? Because the voice actor is Muslim, but I don't wear a hijab. And you hadn't had any conversations about None. that that was not a part of the imagery of the character when you recorded or anything like that? Not to my knowledge, if it was. All I had was the right. script. Right. There was no ethnicity specified in the script. There was no costume specified. Um, and, and again, that's an example of maybe they thought they were doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. And yes, if they were trying to, like, you know, show different... If they were trying to show a Muslim woman in the episode just casually, that's awesome. That's awesome. But it's it feels strange for me if if me voicing her was the impetus to do that when that is not what I have ever practiced. Yeah, that's my thought, too. Uh, when that's not how you're walking into the studio, when you're being... It seems like with the best of intentions that would happen for what you just said. They see an opportunity to maybe yes. authentically represent a community. Yes, I mean, were you ever a part of that conversation? I'm assuming no, because we don't really get to be. 
no, 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 not at all. And that's generally the case in animation and games. It's rare. It is, they exist, and I love them yes. for it. There are the rare showrunners that bring you into the process, ask mm-hmm. your feedback, especially if, um, like I work on a show Glitch Text at Nickelodeon, and mm-hmm. Dan Milano and Eric Robles are the showrunners of that. They were so good about, they had an incredibly diverse cast. And they were so good about asking their cast about little things about their life and culture that could help inform the writers, inform the designers. Everyone was so... It's rare that you even know who works on the show that you're on because you go in for a day, you're there, and you leave. And that's that's the nature of the business. I get that. But when you can work on a a project or a, a show or a game where they solicit your opinion... It really means a lot. But now the warning is when they only rely on the actor to provide that background information for the whole culture, Um, which is, again, why I really, you know, commend the show Glitch Text, because what Dan and Eric did is I played a character, Zara, there. She was a teenage American Muslim girl, and she did wear a hijab. That was her design. I knew that going in. They consulted about her design and, you know, aspects of the script and her character with MPAC, which is the Muslim Public Affairs Council in Hollywood. And um, a consultant there, Sue O'Beatty, who's awesome, gave them some really helpful advice and connected them with other Muslims to get a variety of opinions about something. Because no, nobody's a monolith, right? Right. Um, and so that's an example of, like, a show really doing it right. <laughs> Would it be fair to say that you feel like your ethnicity plays uh, an important role in the opportunities that you get for auditions or for work? For on-camera work, I do feel that way. Um, I also do recognize that as a fair-skinned South Asian woman, I... I... um. I can pass for, I I look a little ethnically ambiguous. Ah, that buzzword, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a, which I think is a code word for attractive but not white. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I don't think you're wrong, which is horrifying. Yeah, I'm I'm very familiar Um, with it as well. But it's like, I, I feel, so I feel like I get, I don't get as much like stereotyping. So I say that because I don't get as much stereotyping as someone who looks more classically Indian American might look, right? I actually don't go read for a lot of Indian roles. I tend to go for, uh, get, you know, typed more as Middle Eastern or um, the Indian doctor, the, 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 the non-white, the ethnic doctor, the, not, the, the non-white news reporter. Mm. Um, and occasionally, you know, I've had callbacks for things where it was a totally great, interesting character didn't matter really the ethnicity it, it was very you know I've definitely had close calls that have been fantastic Great. but as so far the things that have stuck that's kind of the trend mm. um I've been noticing I also die a lot oh my <laughs> which God. I think speaks again to like the violence perpetrated against um you know brown bodies especially in the Middle East depicting these conflicts and the western glance on that as well right so it's almost like a fantasy of what that person is rather than having roots in some substantial truth. Yes. 
Yes. It's a very, it, well, exactly what you said. It's kind of um, a surface level examination. I don't exist as a real person. I exist as a fantasy to fulfill the white protagonist's sense of heroism. Mm. It's so interesting what you're talking about is the the regularity and the frequency at which you uh, experience one very specific type of uh, portrayal when you are the one playing the role without it necessarily being authentic to who you are as mm -hmm. a person, but more authentic to somebody's removed idea of what someone in your box is to them. I love, I love how focused you are on, you know, your gratitude for work because we know none of us are entitled to these things and it is amazing yeah. what we get to do with literally living our dreams and that is incredible totally. um and it's so nice to have that energy in these conversations and i i i i have learned to just balance that uh for myself and for people listening often when we talk about things that are, are a little difficult to talk about or hard to hear um it feels a little more comfortable for people listening to say well you know, why complain? Or what's the issue? If you're going to Hawaii first class, why is there a problem? That's lovely. Right. And yeah, if you want to look at that in itself, sure, that's a great trade-off. But I think the reason it's important, the reason we're here on this podcast, why we're having this conversation is as innocent as those individual events might seem and as well-intentioned as certain people might be in a moment, the ripples of these events and these decisions go far and wide and they often impact people who aren't dropping the pebble in the water. They affect the people in the water. They affect mm. the people who do want to see themselves on screen and not always be a corpse every time they put on <laughs> CBS or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Right, right. I tend to be a lot more comfortable pursuing roles that are written, you know, with one of the many code words that it is like open ethnicity, ambiguous. Manasa is a new one that I got. Yes. As much as I kind of resent the grouping because I feel like my individuality then gets lost. Yes. Uh, and in amongst very different uh, and diverse cultures and identities, but we just get muddled into one thing. Yeah. That should have been leading to a question. I more just ranted a little bit. Um, what you're saying, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. I, so I ethnically am South Asian. Mm -hmm. I play a lot of Middle Eastern and Central Asian people from those regions. And I always feel, am I taking this away from someone else? Mm. In a way that my white colleagues of European descent, I don't think they worry about, can I play Italian? Can I play German? Can I play British? Can I play Scottish? It's like white, you can access all the white cultures as an actor and not think twice about it. Yes. But now with this emphasis on authenticity, ugh, I had this aggravating um, experience. This was an animation. Mm. with a casting director who I'd been submitted for an Indian, they wanted someone of Indian descent for a project. Right. So I was like, yes, perfect, great. And the casting director came back to my manager and said, but Zara's not Indian, she's Pakistani, right? Not understanding the, uh, the nuance there that India and Pakistan share a lot of the same ethnic makeup and cultural makeup. Right. Um, further, I'm 
I am Indian. So so it was something we had to clear up and have a conversation about. But it's this kind of hyper-focusing on authenticity of marginalized groups that uh, I feel... I feel strange about because I feel like if there's something that specifically wants an Arab or an Arab American, now I will maybe pause. But then I look at all these South Asian characters that are being played by Arabs and like we're kind of we've kind of been interchangeable in casting at this point. Yes. And if they're doing it, I'm going to do it. Yes. I. <laughs> it's like who decides who gets to decide? That's why I really appreciated your you answering my first question about your identity in the beginning is it's the totality. It isn't any one thing always frozen in time. Right. We're, it's more complex than that. And I don't know if Hollywood is as yet up to speed with allowing space for the real complexity of more and more the identity of, you know, yeah. people today. And it also, it you bring up Something that I think about a lot is, you know, when you are mixed race, when you have multiple cultures, that you truly are fully each one of them. All of them exist at the same time in you. Um, However, there is sort of a little bristling, I feel, sometimes when it's, uh, and this, I feel like this is really unfair of me. But sometimes there has been a role in a prominent, like in a, pro- a show that is prominently about South Asian Americans. And one of the parts or multiple parts, you know, they're featuring, they want to feature, you know, people of that ethnic background. But a lot of the times they are mixed race and mixed with white. So their features are more noticeable and more familiar and more comfortable to white audiences. And it's very frustrating when you are not mixed and you're still not getting the representation, even in the show about your people. Yes. It's still going to, to, and it's, but it's so unfair because a mixed South Asian and white person is no less South Asian than I am. They're, they, they contain, they have both. They're plural. Right. And, but it's, that's what I grapple a lot about. And I do a lot of like kind of, I, I, what I find difficult is because I'm all about talent rises to the top. Yes. You train, you get better. The, the good acting is ultimately the only way to survive at this industry long term. I had an acting teacher tell me this once. Can I curse? Please. You have to be fucking good at acting. <laughs> That's the only way to have a good career. You can't be nice your way to the top. You can't weasel your way to the top. You can be a fucking good actor. Yes. And so whenever I think, oh, why did she get it and not me? Is it because of her ethnicity? I stop myself because I'm like, you know what? No, I cannot control that. I can only control how good of an actor I can be and how much I can train to work to understand and portray a character. That is what I actually do. That is actually what I'd like to be focused on solely and not this shit about race. Yes, <laughs> I want to fucking exact- do my job. Exactly. My job is to play a character believably emotionally and like I feel like it's very very hard for me to to say things I feel about race because then I'm like oh I'm just using that as an excuse for my own behavior and acting I understand Does it make sense it's hard yes. to talk it's hard to articulate but it's like 
Can I say I really appreciate you voicing that uh, that thought and that struggle because so many people go through it. I do as well. And I, I really appreciate you um, lending words to that and passion to that because we should be passionate about it. And I think to talk about it is not to take a side and we need to stop right. forcing conversations to be about that. We're not going to make any progress in understanding each other and a path forward until we allow each other to speak and hear each other in a respectful way all around. And that's exactly what you've just done. And I so thank you for that. Um, and I, I agree. Hopefully, if you're listening, you find this interesting or if this is a new conversation for you, I promise you there are people around you who are feeling this and thinking this all the time, especially, I mean, in our industry, in any creative industry. But as a performer, it's a question you ask yourself often. And it can have very real impacts on how confident that person is in their own identity in life in general. Yeah. I know it has been for me. Just wanting to be seen is so important. in so many worlds in different tones of content your range is it's so impressive what's your connection to representation when working through voice only there's so much to it uh i think part of the reason i always loved voiceover and was drawn to vocal performance for animation was primarily because i knew there was less of a chance of me being typed in the way that I would be typed in theater or typed on film and TV. I felt the ultimate freedom there restrict, like uh, with, with um, it's only about what this can do. It doesn't matter about my age, my gender, my ethnicity. All these things become less important when they are casting a voice for Ford Automotive. <laughs> you know, or for a grocery store chain or whatever it is. There's part of me that really enjoys that, you know what, it's a brown Muslim woman who's doing that voice for you and you don't even know, Middle America. Yes! You don't even know. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I felt that because uh, you uh, voiced the um, promotional work, or at least some of it, for the Women's World Cup. Is yes! that correct? Yes, for Fox. For uh, Fox Sports. Exactly. Yeah. And let me tell you, <laughs> when I saw that and I watched that clip, because I, I watched that whole World Cup, it was amazing. And to yeah. to, to be the, the voice of like the women, the winning team of the World oh Cup, my God. too. It, incredible. Yeah. But I, I had that exact thought. I was like, wow. How many people are there sat at home who are just getting ready and getting geared up in this national pride for this like promotional material for the women's um, USA soccer team. Like, yes, this is amazing. And they're listening to your voice. And how many of those same people are the ones who hold prejudice and bias against yes. someone who, you know, is your identity or even looks like you and then you assume right. things about them? 
if only I can't help but thinking if only they could see you. If only, <laughs> you know, like imagine your voice popped up at the end of who voiced it. The impact that that could have, I don't know, but I would love to just see the surprise on some people's faces so that we can talk about that and be like, if you are surprised, why are you? And maybe here's why you shouldn't be. And maybe there's a reason why you are. And maybe it's because you don't see a more diverse range of people portrayed and celebrated in these kinds of ways. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot because I grew up in Indiana, which is mostly white, um, because I recognize my privilege of my socioeconomic, my family, you know, my parents were doctors and they sent their children to the best colleges and universities in the U.S. And so I am completely in a liberal, educated college bubble. Those are the people I've tended to gravitate towards as I move through life. I think naturally we, unless we really make an effort to reach outside of it, we are kind of limited to the people in our own socioeconomic level, um, which is a huge part of the diversity thing that's not really being talked about as much. Race is a huge part of it, but socioeconomic, um, you know your education opportunities. And of course, race has determined your access to those education and income opportunities. Mm -hmm. Anyway, not to get completely off track, but I have a skewed view of how America is, I think, because I've known so much diversity. And so it's surprise. It would be surprising to me. It's totally normal to me that a woman who looks like me sounds like me. But then I have to remember to someone living in a different part of the country who doesn't meet as many different types of people, it might be uh, an anomaly for them. Now, again, having grown up in Indiana, and I grew up in a very agricultural town, West Lafayette, which is has is famous for Purdue University. So because the university was there, it was more diverse than some other small towns in Indiana because you had the college population there and they had a huge international um you know, students and professors coming and going. So, but even even that being the case, there were like three non-white people in my high school and I was one of them. I would always get cast as the foreigner in school plays. <laughs> even, okay, even the summer I didn't audition because I was going to um, national speech, my national speech competition. Yeah. I was cast as a Native American in Annie Get Your Gun because ah! I was the only one who could play it. That, um, you know, Zara can go into anything. Zara can do anything. Mm -hmm. Really helped me Mm -hmm. as an actor, as a young Mm -hmm. actor, because I didn't feel, I felt that that unfounded arrogance of, yeah, that unfounded confidence of, yeah, I can do anything. I'm going to try this. And more often than not, when you kind of barrel forward with that attitude, you do the thing and you get better at it. Yep. And you don't see yourself as, I only play like the, the the leading woman who, you know, you don't get kind of caught in the other, or the ingenue. You, you learn to inhabit all the different things and you become kind of a mimic because you have to. Right. That's it. Right. It's almost like a social camouflage for survival. Yes, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. But my point is, I grew up in Indiana, so I have a lot of... Um, 
I feel like people on the coasts tend to villainize the flyover states, we call them, as these like hopeless, bigoted places. And that's just not true. There's so many good people everywhere. I really do believe that there are more good people and good intentioned people Yes. who just don't have access to as much and so may not be able to have sophisticated conversations about things. And I think we... I'm identifying myself as a liberal. I think we liberals tend to quickly jump down people's throats if they Mm -hmm. say the wrong thing Mm -hmm. rather than having a conversation and getting to know people on a one on one basis. Because here's the thing. If you think Muslims or Muslim women are a certain way or if you're scared, you have a conversation with a Muslim woman, in this case me, I'm sorry, you're going to fall in love with me by the end of the talk. <laughs> like, I'm very personable. Yes. And if I can help get rid of fear because mm. I'm an individual person, and yes, I carry all these labels, um, but I'm emblematic of those all those labels yeah and if you can meet person on a one people on a one-to-one level on both sides a lot of that fury and anger and danger is disarmed and so i think it would be really cool um i've had experiences where i've like not any in the last like four or five years now i'm like legit scared but i've done like solo shows around america and in the midwest about i I had a comedy show that I wrote about being a Muslim woman in America. Wow. It was very tongue-in-cheek. Right. um, Loosely autobiographical. It was a musical. (gasps) And it was selling out at fringe festivals across the country. I had audiences full of white people laughing at me every night. A woman in a hijab playing a guitar, singing about Islam. Like, I have great hope for America because of that. Because it doesn't matter... It's almost like the subject of stuff doesn't matter. It's the way it's presented and talked about that can make even the most strange foreign sounding thing make it feel like you understand it. Yes, I love that. And it it speaks to the same core that I hold for the show and my conversations I try and have with people now. When you talk about, you know, the person who is geographically in a different place, but to them, someone like you might seem like an anomaly. The best form of communication and education for that person is entertainment. Yeah. It's the entertainment industry in whatever form. And for us, whether it's TV or film or games or animation, Call of Duty is a huge title. It's one of the biggest in the world. It's played globally all the time. I know that there are people who have said, wow, I am so... I can't tell you how long I've waited to be able to play as an operator that looks like me in the main campaign. I can't tell you what it feels like to, having supported this franchise for my entire life, finally be able to be a hero and not just a villain because I speak a different language or my skin is a little bit darker than everyone else. And, you know, to get to be a part of doing that, to, to bring life to that character too and step into those shoes and then be on the receiving end of people's gratitude of that is really incredible. And it's what's underlined for me why what we do is so much more important if we allow it to be. It's why that show that you did sounds incredible. And to have that experience of just people who you would not assume to understand your life or your identity in any way, getting to see you and connect 
to you in a way that you decide that yes. is rooted in truth and authenticity, not decided or written by someone who doesn't get it and they're just writing an idea anyway. Right. You get to share a truth with people and they get to learn something more. And, and as a result, we become more connected. I, I love what you just shared about people coming to you and saying, I can't tell you what it means, because I've had that exact conversation with young women. Um, I played a character, Amara, in Borderlands 3, which is one of like the four player characters you can choose. And she's this big, buff, South Asian inspired siren character who punches and... Um, I went to Comic-Con and um, there was a cosplay contest and for Borderlands and car- people came dressed up as the characters and there were a few char- there were a few women there who were dressed up like Amara and after the competition one of the Amaras came up to me and she just said I just wanted to say hello I can't tell you how much it means to have a character that I can who looks like me who I can cosplay as and we both started crying and I was uh, like, you know, I really, it, it really, it, these, it seems so small and trivial, a video game. People right? dismiss things. Our parents dismiss them, right? But they're so powerful and you don't know how something like that can really touch someone and help them see themselves in a different way. Oh, I see myself as the hero now. It's seeing yourself in a way you hadn't anticipated. I remember, I'm trying to think of when I felt similarly because I feel like I've been pretty blessed my whole life with, I'm the youngest of four girls. Mm. So I've seen like badass women who look like me my entire life. I've oh, been wow. surrounded by Dream. them. It's, it's, it's 100% why I think I've always been pretty confident with who I am and what I have to offer because I have amazing paths to follow in, quite frankly. But I, I remember watching Wonder Woman and tearing up because I was seeing this strong superheroine and it wasn't in the male gaze. It was in the female gaze of how I would see my own power. And subconsciously, it made me really emotional. And when I was kind of unpacking why later, it's because it's so rare to see a beautiful woman, strong, attractive, but not through the male sexual gaze. Yeah, what what a concept, (laughs) (laughs) right? That's so difficult to see. And when you say it can seem so trivial, yes, it can. But that's kind of the beauty of it, too, is that the most profound impact can be made by such a simple, small decision, small but mighty. Just decide to be specific with a character. Uh, as much as it can be nice to be open and be manasa and and ambiguous, that's great. But it's so important, especially to inspire new generations and to show them that the world, not just what they can do, but what the world will allow them to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to have role models and, and say like, which is amazing. Like, that's an example of something I can do and a path I can follow. But you also would benefit greatly from the world and the environment you're operating in showing you that it wants you to be that as well. Not just you can, but we want you to be. Yes. Yes. It's mm, You bring up so many things I hadn't considered before, especially about how if there's not the intentionality and the specificity in the casting, you end up 
in a way, losing some of the potential richness that your casting could have brought to the world and to the story. I like to call myself, especially in voiceover work, I like to call myself paint. I'm a certain type of paint. I'm a certain color of paint. Um, We're all actors or tubes of paint. Sometimes you want to paint with blue. And sometimes you want to paint with purple. That doesn't mean blue is better than purple. It just means this story would be served better by blue. So I'm going to be the very best purple paint I can be. Smush me around and use me. (laughs) (laughs) But when you only put a little paint on the canvas and you just kind of go like that, you feel like, oh, but come on. I'm a really beautiful, shiny purple, and I just want to be used used to my potential. I don't want to dry up in my tube. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. This is the perfect analogy. And not to be too on the nose with colors, but, you know, it's like almost everywhere that you look, 95% of every beautiful uh, drawing is green. And it's like, that's amazing. We love that. But wouldn't it be really cool and beautiful to see one that's like, really yellow and then has a bunch of purple in it too or wouldn't it be nice to like have a different base each time we do something different and give it different highlights and tones that's what what beautiful imagery you just created in my mind (laughs) but then so elliot what would be your response to this yes argument well there's so many green paintings because green is the color we see in nature all the time. It's most of what this country is, is green forests. So why wouldn't we keep making green things, green paintings? My response would be this, and wonderful point. The point of storytelling is to teach lessons, and to teach is to fill in gaps of missing information, right? It's to learn, to absorb. If green is the color you see everywhere in nature then really green in a learning storytelling sense is the least relevant thing to be talking about and painting with because it's the thing you already know the most about. It doesn't mean it can't be a part of every single canvas if you want it to, but the real value of the stories that are there to be told lie in the colors that you don't see all the time. Because that's where there's the most to be taught. That's where the most expansion exists. That's where the most richness exists. I think when you see something everywhere, it doesn't make it a bad thing inherently. And so that's, to crack the code for a second, I am not saying white representation is a bad thing. Obviously, We're talking about white people, guys. White people. people, In case you're not following along. (laughs) (laughs) But this is it. It's like... It's not, you're not inherently bad or wrong if you're white or if that's a representation. There is nothing wrong inherently with that. The issue comes when that is what takes up all the space or when that sits in all the seats at the table. The default. Exactly. There's there's 10 seats at the table. So let's put, let's sit white straight men in nine of them. And then there's one more for literally 1,000 other different kinds of identities. It's like what we shouldn't be giving the majority of space to the thing that there's already the majority of when we're trying to teach people through entertainment about the potential and possibilities of this world. And again, entertainment is a creative industry. Creation needs the essence of different colors and of newness and of freshness and of discovery to have value. Otherwise, everything's a documentary. And I love a documentary, but that's that shouldn't be the only genre. We shouldn't just be 
seeing what is mainly out there. Like, if you squint, everything's... It's green, so I guess that's what we'll do here. It's like, open your eyes. There's way more colors. There's a much more vibrant spectrum to see. Let's focus on those things. It's infinitely more valuable and interesting, I promise you. You're so smart, and thank you so much for following that metaphor through. I loved it. I love a metaphor. All the way to its conclusion. (laughs) That was brilliant. Women in gaming, what does that represent to you? What is the conversation there, uh, if any, that you are interested in? What's your place in that? It's interesting because although I act in a ton of video games and a ton of like AAA titles where it's often first person shooter, beautiful cinematics, beautifully rendered 3D worlds, I'm often the player character, meaning that's the, the lens through which players are hearing and seeing the world. Um, I love as an actor the challenge of inhabiting those worlds, but I myself don't really play those games because I get incredibly motion sick. (laughs) Uh, It's really hard for me to even play 10 minutes of a first person shooter game because I, it's completely disorienting and it's just not, it's not what I enjoy. I, I play other games, but usually those games are older and don't have as much voiceover and are kind of text-based. Tetris. Oh, okay. Not Tetris. Oh, I love Tetris. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Tetris is a classic. I love it so much. I love Candy Crush. Yes. I love like <laughs> I love like old school like role-playing games like from the my sisters had an IBM and so they had all these like Sierra role-playing games on oh, it from wow. the 90s, 80s and 90s and I would I grew up playing those and I love them still. Uh, so when it comes to women in gaming, I feel like a poser talking about it because I'm not a gamer. I play the games I like, but I'm not up to speed with like, I love Call of Duty. I've never played it once. Right. But I think the women in gaming movement is very, very important because it's my understanding that video game culture has historically been, continues to be, can be a very toxic environment for female players, Mm. uh, women content creators, um, you know, so the women in gaming conversation is all about, I think, making a more inclusive, welcoming space, uh, (laughs) anti-misogyny. And um, there's so much about it that I I don't feel equipped to speak on, like Gamergate, how women were being harassed for for having, you know, for saying certain opinions about things in gaming and, you know, women being doxxed where their home address and it's just harassment. There's been a lot of strange, strange violence against women in that space. And so I, it's my understanding that this huge women in game, gaming movement is like, hey, the stereotype of, you know, the male gamer in his mom's basement, that's not everybody who plays games. There's a lot of different... Video games are for everybody. Yes. And they're so vast now as well with the genres that they cover. It, every, like you said, everything isn't just a first-person shooter that you just put on some headphones and like f- grind for hours at. Yeah. It just seems to be like men and kind of a little toxic masculine energy 
which doesn't have to be in men only, but tends to be, is like almost everywhere you look in the gaming space. And yeah. gaming is one of the most inclusive industries today uh, in terms of its reach to people. When I say inclusive, I don't mean necessarily the representation of characters or people behind right. the scenes. I actually think the opposite of that. I think the gaming industry has a lot of work to do and there are some encouraging examples. Apex is one of them for me. I was just gonna say, I I feel so, whether it's fortune or just wavelength that has connected me to some of the most cool, the coolest projects made by some of the most conscientious people. Yep. Like I am so in awe of Apex and the staff at Respawn who've put so much thought about inclusivity and representation in creating Apex Legends. My God, I mean, th it was at their forefront to have lots of women in the game, to have trans and non-binary characters. Oh, Bloodhound! <laughs> yes, Bloodhound! Yes. And to have, um, you know, LGBT representation, uh, different ethnic backgrounds, and very specific stories for the origins of all these characters. And I'm in the game as the announcer, who's this, we don't know much about her, she's the voice in your ear announcing what's going on. Like, I really love being able to be in a game, and it's uh, nothing to do with my ethnicity. Oh, uh, oh, exactly. <laughs> the Whenever dream. I get to play a character where it doesn't matter, I'm like, oh my god. Yes, you don't have to worry about how you look, the your portrayal physically, because yep. again, we there's no racial tag on your voice or people aren't gonna perceive one, so you can literally just be a performer. What a concept. Yes. Um, I know I know you get asked this all the time. I'm only gonna ask you once. Would you mind hitting me? Just just give me just give me a little taste. Elliot, you are the Apex champion. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have even anticipated how happy that would make me, especially because I rarely am the Apex champion. So Ring that... closing. Oh! It, honestly, even when we were together, I was playing this game and I had no idea. So when I learned that that was you, I was like, I freaked out. And oh, my I, God. Yeah, no, I, I pretty much every single day I play Apex. Who do you main on Apex Legends? Oh, who do I main? No one's ever said that to me before. That sounds like <laughs> like a who are the characters you play? I know that's a video game lingo I learned from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Please share it with me. I need it. Bloodhound was my my first love. Loba and Rampart were my favorite oh. uh, inclusions. Uh -huh. I just loved the I loved the vibrancy of their characters, and I I yeah. loved how how just how concentrated and saturated they were, I thought was so amazing in their, their own like personality. Yeah. Um, so then uh, Octane, I had a hot moment with two and I love a Bangalore moment as well. So oh, I just, Bangalore. Oh. please. Erica Luttrell, who plays Bangalore is one of my favorite actors and, and humans. And oh. um, she's just so lovely, so chill. And um, Anjali Bimani, who plays Rampart, um, I fangirled when she first connected with me because I had seen her on Broadway in Bombay Dreams <gasps> in uh, like 2005 when she was one of the leads in that. Oh and my gosh. then to be working on a game with her, she, she's a legend and she's so awesome. Oh, I am freaking out. Maybe games are my thing. There's something about gaming that just connects you because it's so immersive in a different way, I think. Yeah. That's why there's great potential in the gaming space specifically for us to have a really positive, inclusive impact on the gaming community. 
And a game like Apex, I think, does such an impressive, incredible job of that. It's a reason why I am happy to spend money playing this game. I'm happy to download skins. And I, I've watched interviews with the actors and learning about, even hearing them talk about how great it is to get to authentically represent a culture yeah. or a community or even a dialect or something like Lifeline's uh, character. Yes, Melanie's character. I, oh, yes. It's amazing to see yeah. that. So I, I appreciate the effort that's been made there for sure. And you can tell the care that was put in because it reflects like the cast is really tight and we've gotten to know the writers and some of the developers. And there's this constant... Um, whenever a question or issue arises, there's this, oh, I know who to ask. I know who to go to if there's an issue that comes up. That is so rare yep. in games, in, in entertainment industry in general, but specifically in games. Let me ask you, do you have a, an opinion on uh, the recent wave of uh, recasting voices in animations to be more... Uh, with the intention of being more culturally appropriate, I know that there was a there was a big one for um for Big Mouth. Yes, Big Mouth, and The Simpsons. Yes, and, exactly. Um, Whether it's characters being eliminated completely because oh we've been doing this for two decades and maybe it's not the most sensitive portrayal uh, or approach. Um, thoughts. My thoughts are nuanced. Okay, like specifically with Apu on The Simpsons. Yes, let's do it. Growing up, I loved The Simpsons. I would record it on my VHS. I thought it was so funny. My parents loved Apu. They thought it was so great that there was a character with an Indian accent that was, you know, representing South Asians. They found his last name, Nahasapima Petalon. Very hilarious. Um, if this piece were created now and I got a breakdown for an audition for an Apu Nahasapima Pedalon, I would be like, what the fuck? That's fucking racist. But because it came about, I think people are so quick to, that doesn't mean it wasn't racist then, but the thermometer by which things were measured had different markings on it then. Mm. And I, as much as Apu is a caricature, it almost is an honor to be made into a caricature. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I have always been a big fan of South Park, and that is a show that is a satire that toes the line sometimes with its offensiveness. But everyone is fair game, and ultimately it's the white folks who end up being the butt of the joke. Right. Which is why I think it's been able to go on for years and years without truly crossing that line. Mm. That's my feeling about it. So I feel like The Simpsons, too, when you get to the point where you have a character who's Apu, I felt like, at least in my South Asian community, people loved Apu because even if he was bad representation, hey, representation was better than nothing. And it never really occurred to anybody that the actor was or wasn't Indian. I don't think people were thinking about that. Because with The Simpsons, it's such a small cast that does all the roles. And so that was kind of the accepted convention. And or people didn't think about it deeply. But 30 years in, the thermometer is different. And change is good. Um, I don't think change is a bad thing. I don't think... 
They need to ban the episodes that broadcast in the 80s and 90s featuring Apu. And it's part of the historical fabric. And it's really tough because, you know, people, it's been in the news lately about Disney having these like warnings about culturally insensitive, potentially material before their shows. It's so tough, right? Because I grew up, like Dumbo is an example on Disney that people cite a lot. The crows at the end are a racist stereotype of African-American minstrels. Yes. Lady in the Tramp. The Siamese cats are a horrifically racist depiction for humor's sake of East Asians. But to deny they happened, the erasure is not right either. Because how do we learn if these things are just all of a sudden, no, we can't see them anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard. Ultimately, I believe a lot in individual accountability and perception, right? You're responsible for what you consume. You're responsible for what your young eyeballs are watching, your children. You're responsible for having conversations with them if you choose to let them watch something that has this kind of thing, right? So if I were, I am not a parent, but if I were showing my child who will inevitably be South Asian, if I have a biological child, Apu on The Simpsons, I don't think I'd feel uncomfortable with it, but I might want to have a conversation about Honey, this is kind of archaic and outdated now, but you should know that at this time, this was one of the first Indian American, like Indian characters that was on TV. Mm. <laughs> and like looking at the broader context of it, and and don't you know, thirty years later, this Indian actor now plays him. Isn't that cool? Like I think to me, what's so important is truth, and truth can be ugly and hurt. Yes, exactly. That doesn't mean it should be hidden away. Yes. There is so much to be gained from being able to see where we've been. To face forwards, but to be able to check back and be like, oh, we were there and now we're here. That's dope. Let's keep going. I think can serve to be a wonderful tool. And if there is any idea that dusting something under the rug means that it never existed is a very mm, damaging way of trying to make good change and progress. It, it, you know, if we burned every textbook about World Wars One and Two, does that mean that everything's great and it never happened? And, right. you know, they teach us things that are important for our, our presence and engagement in the world today. And... Uh, I I appreciate your generosity in allowing people relative to the time uh, creative freedoms and and good intentions. I I think that's wonderful, and I, I think it's a sorely needed ingredient for the conversations we have around these issues today is to not immediately vilify someone or something right from the get-go before any conversation has even happened. Right. It doesn't mean you're saying it's right or wrong. Right. It just means you're open to understanding more than one potential impact, which is inevitably the case. Permanent change can only be done incrementally. 
a friend of mine once told me this analogy and it blew my mind. You could be a river. You move fast. And you, you know, you just keep going, keep going. You're fast, fast, fast moving river. But you're shallow. You don't really go very deeply. Whereas if you're a glacier, you move so slowly. But man, that change you make changes the world. And I think that's the nature of art and entertainment. It's like things, good things take time. And it's hard to be patient when there's so much wrong. I know. I know. But having conversations like this and allowing space for the understanding, I think, can help you be patient as we get to the next step together. Here's the other part that's tough. I recognize as a non-black person, but a non-white person, that there are ways that I, without knowing and not being conscious of, that I have tried to work within the white system because it is the default. And how do I assimilate into the culture versus say, this is who I am and understand me. I'm like, how do I get them to understand me better? You know, how do I get them to understand the way I look better? You know, there, there were years where I wanted to get a nose job because I was ashamed of having an aquiline non-white nose. <laughs> And for years, it it pisses me off how self-conscious I was about that. But it, it's because the image of beauty, of white beauty, is so pervasive. And subconsciously, I wanted to be white. And so that kind of culture of white supremacy is I know that my my struggles can be part of undoing that but I don't I I guess I feel I feel guilty I feel guilty for supporting it unknowingly subconsciously of being like white is the default so I have to play ball to to fit in does that make sense this is what we're talking about, the impact that it can have on you, these trivial things people might not even yeah. think about. It's buried there. Yeah. And I've, I've been digging things up without realizing it this whole last year and a bit, yeah. just like this. And yes. you definitely already are such an important space for so many people. Can I tell you what I'm so excited about? It's like the people that this is making, that this matters the most to, they're not even old enough to use the computer yet. You know, I cannot wait to meet the kids of now in 20 years. If I'm still around, <laughs> if they come up to me and be like, you were the voice of blah in this show that informed my childhood. Like, I cannot wait. <laughs> Which is why ultimately, like, I'm so hopeful because that next generation is 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 getting so much good stuff and is being raised by people like us. Like, there are so many people who want this, who who want to understand and want to live in a kinder, more inclusive world because it's the right thing to do. And so I ultimately am, like, so hopeful if we can keep our planet healthy and around that long. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I think the future is bright. What should people keep in mind going forward? I think what people should keep in mind going forward regarding everything we've talked about, but also beyond, I think this applies across the board, 
is listening and communication. If, for instance, you have a town hall where you want to hear concerns from people on how to improve or ideas they have, you need to have that town hall and listen to what everyone has to say without comment. I think sometimes people can be very quick to comment because they want to fix things or they want to make it better or they want to defend themselves. But the whole point is you need to listen and absorb and not try to immediately relate it to your own experience because the stuff you're hearing, there's you, you might not have anything you could possibly relate it to. So I think true active listening is so important. I think communication is really important. And again, it's not coming from a malicious place. To be, a good, to be good at communication, you have to practice. It's a skill. You have to just work. It's a muscle you have to build. And not all companies or the individuals who work at those companies are good at it or enabled to do it to the extent they would like for legal reasons, right? But I think if there can be more of a rapport between every, you know, Let's take, for instance, if you're casting an animated series, right? The showrunners communicate what they want to the casting director, communicates to the agents what kind of actors they want to hear for the part. I think, I'm not accusing anyone of not doing their jobs, but the easy choices you reach for need to be, you need to go beyond and think about some of the folks out there who maybe haven't worked as much yet. And I guess don't be lazy in your search to find people. Don't, you can't ever rest and be like, well, we tried, but we couldn't find anybody. Like, that doesn't cut it anymore in 2021 when you have pretty much the the directory of the world on your cell phone. But communicating, again, listening, taking things in without making assumptions or likening it to your own experience right away is important. I think communicating clearly and specifically is important. Uh, the other thing is, I think I think part of the reason people don't communicate is because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm, definitely. And that, unfortunately, is like a very valid fear, right? I often feel like I can't talk because I'm afraid I'm going to get jumped on for saying the wrong thing. And that's kind of the temperature of the culture we're in now. So I would advise folks who are likely to find fault with things. You think you're helping, but you might not be helping. You might be hurting the group you're trying to protect more than you're helping by your rush to negativity, anger, judgment. And to clamp down conversation that would lead to progress if it was allowed to breathe freely. Exactly. 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 People are terrified to talk to each other. And I really think this is truly an area where I feel both sides need to work on. I know you're so good at what you do, and I know that you love what you do, and you have such a passion and appreciation for it, and I want everyone to know that that's so true. Um seeing Zara work and also talking to you about what you do um you're a star it's and I don't I don't even mean in the sense of like oh it's so amazing it's you are a star you're so committed to what you do it's incredible and knowing that I'm really glad and we're so fortunate that you shared everything that you did with us today 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you again. I think I said this to you last night, but thank you for creating a space where someone like me can come and have this kind of conversation because the recurring thing in my life is I don't know who to talk to about this. This is something I think is really important too. I reflect a lot on what is my and my community's role to play in this important movement because there is so much anti-blackness in Asian communities and specifically in the South Asian community. There's so much colorism, issues of colorism in India about fairer skin versus darker skin. Like it's just there's so much anti-blackness that all of us, even as woke as we think we are, we can all afford to examine our own biases. And so I've really appreciated the reflection that has been collectively happening. I really appreciate because I think being on, perched on a hyphen, as my friend Jay Hasrajani has so eloquently put it, when you straddle two different worlds, there's things that come up that you don't know who to talk to about. And if, you know, even the people you love the most and trust the most, like my white friends and family, they don't get it. And they know they don't get it. <laughs> and that can be very isolating. And it feels very isolating, too, because I can't talk about it in the context of the greater movement that's happening in America either, because I don't want to take up that space. So all that being said, I really appreciate having this space to have this kind of conversation and feel received and like um, part of part of the ongoing flow. Thank you so so oh my much. gosh, I could like sit and talk to you for hours. And you have reached the end of not only another conversation, but the very first season of the Open Up podcast with Zara Fuzzle. I'm sure you found Zara as eloquent and fascinating and delightful and charming as I did speaking with her. So much gold and wisdom in this conversation and a refreshing voice on the gaming industry as someone who does not profess to be a gamer as such, but has so much experience working behind the scenes and seeing how these games are put together, seeing the impact that the decisions we make in these mediums have on their audiences, on real people in the world who influence the structures of society and how we treat each other and how we think of each other. For people to understand, to quote Zara, I see myself as the hero now is hugely powerful and upsettingly forgotten too often in the influence that entertainment has. Games specifically reach far and wide. It's a global industry of entertainment, and it's so much more than just a game. In many spaces, for many people, it's the reflection of real life. Rather than checkpoint all of Zara's points, I think I'd just like to underline my gratitude for her sharing everything that she did. As you would have heard, it is not always easy to talk about some of these things. And that is true for a few conversations, almost every conversation on the Open Up this season. Every artist that we were fortunate enough to have a conversation with to share with you had stories that they weren't comfortable sharing. Real experiences that were just too fresh, too raw, or were weighted by a concern of being misheard or misunderstood that weren't shared with you. And I have to tell you, it is heartbreaking to know that still, even though there is a space and more spaces now where we can feel 
more comfortable and more free to just speak the truth about what we go through. There is still work to do. But the great news is you are already doing that work in part just by being here listening to what brave people are offering up to share with you about the truth of their experiences, about the reality of an industry that does affect you. If you watch TV, if you watch movies, if you play games, if you listen to music, if you buy clothes, if you read books, if you look at pictures, and many more examples, you are a part of the system of the entertainment industry. And we want you to be a part of the family who knows these stories. And thanks to you for choosing to be here and stick through to the end of this, you are family. And we are so happy to have you. You can follow Zerafuzzle at Zerafuzzle on Instagram, and you can follow us at The Open Up Pod on the gram or email us at hello at theopenuppodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, if you have thoughts, if you want to help show some support for Zara or the topics we're talking about or any conversations this season, or even more importantly, the conversations you want to hear in season two, please do reach out and let us know. This is for all of us. And as I said, we're all part of the family now. One final thank you to our amazing team of artists who we do thank at the end of episode every week. Over the time of putting this podcast together, these artists have helped bring in the creative pieces to make it a show. And we really appreciate your talent and your time. Thank you to Alec Liu for our amazing artwork. Thank you to Adsum for our iconic theme tune. And thank you to Jay Abholt for our sensational original music. Thank you to producer Gemma from Studio Hendrix for all of your help and support and heart that you've put into making this show happen. I am Elliot Knight, your host, mixer, and editor. And thank you finally to you for being here, for listening, and for hopefully sharing this podcast or these conversations with another friend or person that you know so we can all learn together. It means the world. And don't forget that you can help spread the word by opening up about what you heard. And if you want a season two to be alive, then please right now hit those stars at number five if you've not already. And it would be amazing if you could leave a review it would help us get to that season two and also we'd love to hear from you it's been a pleasure to share these conversations with you they're so important they're so necessary and i'm so grateful to every artist who has opened up with us and for you it's been an honor to be a part of this real storytelling be well if you are get well if you're not and i will see you hopefully in season two for another open up dare you <laughs> speak this wisdom into the microphone on this show. <laughs>